Today's sermon is titled No Anchor, No Anger, No Record. I'm in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8 is where the text font comes from. And it's about love is not easily angered. And love keeps no record of wrong. And as you are aware and as you know, this series, I'm saying if God is love, uh, then three things that Scripture says God is. God is life, God is uh, spirit, and God is love. And when we understand these and we try to understand who God is, is really what I'm, what I'm dealing with today and um, you know, I want to I want to preface some of my remarks with a few statements that I, that I hope helps you to understand. You know, I, I don't think that the church has been wrong, but the church has been inadequate to fully express exactly who God is and what God is and how God operates uh, on planet Earth. We keep making God to be like us. And uh, we also make God to be who we think he should be. And, and I don't think it's anything intentional, but, you know, we, we all, every one of us, have an opinion of what we believe God is and who we believe God is and uh, we listen to other people's opinion of who God is and you listen to mine. You don't have to agree with me on my opinion, you know, but all of us need to agree with the word of God and what God's word says about who God is because it's, it's important that we stand on his word. But having an opinion about who God is or, or understanding if we're, if we're making God to be who we think he should be and we're not open Say open. If we're not open to let God reveal more of himself to us, then we're the one who is, is lacking. It, it's all well and good to have an opinion of God, and, and I'm not trying to criticize any of that. I'm just simply saying, Lord, I want to discover who you really, really are. I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know what everlasting life really is. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 9, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. 
and now abideth, abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is faith. I mean, is what? Love. The greatest of these is love. You know, a great many Christians, all of us, are praying for faith. I'm in a position right now that I'm asking God to increase my faith and to help us in, in, in what's going on. I believe that we should operate and understand what I would call extraordinary faith. I believe that, that, that most of us want extraordinary faith. I believe we want remarkable faith, and there's nothing wrong with those, but we forget sometimes that love exceeds faith. These things abide, but the greatest of these is love. We all know that love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of those things that the Spirit will produce in your lives, and uh, I, I really, 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 really believe that the church needs more love. Don't mean that from a judgmental standpoint. I'm just simply saying, Lord, help me to love with your love how you want to love one another. I want more love for God, and I want more love for my fellow man. I used to think, growing up, grew up in church, went to church, and I'd read the Bible, I'd hear Bible stories. I think of my Sunday school teachers that I had as a child growing up, and they would talk about Bible stories. And I can remember that sometimes when they would talk about the Bible stories and they would tell the stories. I would imagine myself in those days being uh, uh, in, in the story and, and what was going on in the story. And I, I remember them talking about prophets. And I'm thinking, well, well, wonder what it would be like if I was a prophet, you know. And then uh, numerous times growing I would hear him talk about Jesus and what he, what he would do. And, you know, I remember him walking into town, uh, riding into town on the donkey and thinking about what it would have been like to be right there that day and see what was going on. I think about how he performed miracles and did healings, and I'm thinking about, wow, wouldn't it have been exciting to be there when Jesus was here and watch Jesus? And, and, and I, I just have been uh, thought that many times as a child growing up. However, as I understand Scripture now, this moment, today, I believe that I would rather live in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, than any time in all of human history. When the Bible talks about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I really want God's Word to become alive in me and you. That's what we're after. The Word become flesh. You say, well, that's just the story of Jesus. Well, He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, who is Jesus Christ. That's who I'm trying to be like, is Jesus. That's what we're after. That's what the Word will do. But I would rather have first, live in 1 Corinthians and have this love operating in our lives as the Apostle Paul talked about it.
The love of God, if you could think of it that way, burning in my soul like it's an unquenchable flame, like it's something that just will not go out, where his love permeates our being as his children. You know, just to be like Jesus. That's what I'm really talking about today. And to love like Jesus loves. To allow the love of God to flow through our lives, my life, your life, just like he flowed through Jesus when Jesus walked this earth. Now, a man can have, and this is, this is what I think 1 Corinthians is saying in a nutshell, I, a man can have a wonderful knowledge, knowledge such that he can unravel all of the mysteries of the Bible and yet be as cold as an icicle when it comes to love. Some ministers have great magnetism and, and marvelous command of the language. They're able to speak and to articulate in ways they preach with great mental strength. But my desire would be that my words could be filled with God's divine love. I'm having a funeral this afternoon for a local man that I've known for years and I want people there to know the love of God. If they walk away saying, oh, that preacher's got this doctrine and that doctrine and he believes it, it don't change a thing. But if you can permeate people's hearts with the love of God, their lives can be changed. Paul says here, you may preach like an angel, but if you do not have love, it amounts to nothing. A person can be very charitable. He can be very giving. Paul talks about here, he, he can give away all that he owns, all of his goods. He can be just filled with giving, but if there's no love there, he says it profits him nothing. That's what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He goes on and he talks about the fact that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, rude, or selfish. Well, you see, I just happen to believe that if God is love, all of the things that the scripture uses to describe what love is, that they are describing who God is. If God is love, then God, is, it, it, I could insert God here, God is patient, God is kind. He doesn't envy. He, he doesn't boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He's not selfish. And then where we are in this, and I've talked about all those in the previous weeks, but where we are in this is, is that, that I can look at you and I can say he's not easily angered either. Can't remember if I told you, but the title of my message, the way I titled the message today was No Anger and No Record. If I looked at you and I say, if you've got a record, you think of a crime or something you committed somewhere and you say, well, you know, let me, let me just tell you something. You have no record with God. 
Can I tell you something about God that most people don't know or believe? If love is not easily angered, God is not easily angered. It amazes me how many people think God's just waiting and looking for something to get mad at them about. Now, you know I'm preaching good because I'm talking to you. That's why you're quiet right now. It amazes me. The people that don't know God is not easily angered. Let me say it to you like this. God's not mad at you. Now, this, this one is a stretch for some of you. God's not mad at the world. Yeah. Most of us were raised to believe that God is easily angered. Matter of fact, we, we, we don't know that he's not angry. But listen to me say this. God's not mad at you. Look at somebody and tell them that, will you right now? Just look at somebody and say, God's not mad at you. Would you say that to somebody around you? God's not mad at you. Some of you needed to hear that today. You need to hear that God's not upset and angry with you. Matter of fact, God's not mad. He's not angry. He loves you. And listen to me say this. He will never turn his face from you. Listen to me say this. If God is turning his face from us when we sin, then the blood of Jesus that he shed for the remission of sins is not powerful enough. What do you think he shed his blood for? What do you think he was crucified for? What do you think Jesus did? Jesus' blood took away our sins. Oh, I'm ready for, I hope you're ready for this statement. I'm ready. Contrary to what most people believe, God doesn't get angry when you sin. I can just hear some of you right now thinking in your mind, I don't think that preacher knows what he's talking about. Well, I think he does. I think scripture declares that. I, I, I really believe that. And you know, if God is love and love keeps no record of wrong, then God keeps no record of wrong. Listen to me just a minute. Will you hear me out on this just a second? Record keeping causes us to look only at the records over and over. And if you are recording records of your wrongs over your lifetime, after a period of time, all you have recorded is what you did wrong. 
And if you keep your eye focused on your record, all you're going to see are your faults, failures, flaws, and mistakes. And I believe God keeps no record of wrong. We do, and we want him to be like us, but God doesn't. Say, Pastor, you really believe that? See, we really believe that God keeps a record of our wrongs. That's what most Christians believe. So let me ask you, here's my question with that. If God keeps record of your wrongs, are you really forgiven? Hmm? If God is writing down every mistake that you made to one, so that one day he can stand and hold you accountable for every mistake you've made and he's writing a record of what you did wrong, what did he forgive you for? Well, he may have forgiven me for everything I did right. No, you don't think that way. God has forgiven you of every sin you have or will ever commit. Help me, Lord. Let me just give you this. What does forgiveness mean? Listen to this. Forgiveness means to send away, debts being completely canceled, to completely or com to completely remove all, all of the cause of the offense. It denotes dismissed and it denotes released. Your wrongdoing has been dismissed and it's been released. The God of the universe said, I take the sins of the world on myself and declare you free from sin. If we really believed in our hearts that our creator, our God, did not keep such records if we really believe that he did that and we were trying to be like him, then it stands to reason for me to believe that we, if we want to be like him, should keep no record of wrong either. Now, I could get into talking about keeping record of wrong and somebody else keeping record of wrong you, but my biggest enemy with keeping record of my wrong and remembering my wrongs is not somebody else's keeping it, it's me keeping it about myself. Do I relate to anybody? We have a way of remembering. I'll never forget. I don't know if you all remember. I preached a message one time called Fixing Our Rememberer. Why? Because there are some things that we need to not remember anymore because they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Love keeps no record of wrong. 
God keeps no record of wrong. Condemnation is a very devastating thing to a human heart. People who are condemning and people who deal with condemnation and who struggle with condemnation, if you understand condemnation, because what happens when people condemn you, your heart can become spiritually paralyzed. You understand what I'm saying? Your heart can't function the way it was designed to function. And we, we sometimes really misunderstand this. But listen carefully. At any time, at any point where a person feels condemnation, it is because that person believes that their God kept a record of their wrong. Major difference, and I'm not going to get sidetracked, there's a major difference between conviction of sin and condemnation for sin. Not wanting to sin falls under the category of conviction of sin, but criticizing everybody who sins falls under condemnation of sin, and criticizing yourself falls under that category. There's a difference in conviction and condemnation. I'm not preaching on that this morning, but listen to me. God is not saving back every sin we have committed for the purpose of using those mistakes as future ammunition when he decides to pay us back. Hear me say it. He never condemns and he keeps no records of wrong. In the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, Romans chapter eight, verse one says, and read this with me, read along as I'm reading it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin to condemn sin in the flesh. The sin in the flesh has already been condemned and crucified. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled where? In us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The only ammunition that God needs for your sin is forgiveness. When you sin, he's not firing your past record at you. He's firing forgiveness at you. 
He wants to flood you with forgiveness. He wants you to know that you've been forgiving. If we're living according to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I personally believe we'll stop finding fault with other people all the time. Guys, do you all understand that we live in one of the most fault-finding societies that has ever walked the planet. Men and women today are finding fault with every single thing. It's, it's, it's terrible what we're dealing with in our world today. Listen to me. If I love the Lord Jesus then I should understand that his love suffers long and is kind. We preached on that just a few weeks ago. His love suffers long and is kind. If I have his love living in my heart, I'm about being forgiven, not about being offended. You know, we're, we're criticizing people who are talking about being offended now, but you know, Christians are the worst ones in the world. You, 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 you can offend them without saying anything. I'm talking about us. I'm preaching to some people there, but I'm talking to you this morning. We have a real misunderstanding. We let some of the smallest, insignificant, little things separate us from loving God's children. How many of you have a little dust at your house? Anybody? <clears throat> How much weight does that dust ask? You know, I've gone years and not stepped on the scales at my house, and I've never looked at an empty scales covered with dust as weighing anything. Help me, Lord. Dust carries no weight. And if we understood how many little minute things that we as Christians carry as we judge other people, it's amazing. How can the cold formal behavior of hypocrites in the church quench the love that I have in my heart for God. As we walk through life, we see things in one another that we wish wasn't there, that we wish was different. We see things in ourselves 
that we wish wasn't there. We see things in ourselves that we wish we were different than we are. But why do we allow those things to condemn us? And why do we get angry? And why do we keep a record of every small, minute thing? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, you know, Blaine Bowman used to sing a song and he, he, he talked about how many people has left church because somebody didn't shake their hand. And I'm thinking, ain't those good Christians that they had to go somewhere else because they came to church and nobody shook their hand? I'm not saying it's okay that nobody shook your hand. You ought to be nice to everybody that comes. You ought to speak to everybody that comes. We went through a year, you couldn't even look at each other without a mask. And you were supposed to stay six feet away from everybody. I thought, man, this is really hard to hug six feet away. But my question to you is, why do we judge people for such small, little, insignificant things? I've had people say to me, I'm not coming back because of how you looked at me in the pulpit. And the truth was, when I got done, I didn't even know they was there that day. <laughs> you know, one of the things you try to do when you're a public speaker is you try to make everybody sitting there think you're looking right at them by looking at everybody, but you're really looking at nobody. And when I do look at people, I find people that's smiling and looking back at me that make me feel good. I don't like to look at frowns. But it's amazing how we let little insignificant things change us. Listen to me. His love in my heart should keep me from finding fault with other people and criticizing what they have done. Every one of us has done something and the first thing we did when we did it was look around to make sure nobody saw us. I'll never forget one of the greatest lessons I learned of that. We lived on Mason Drive and we had a carport, but you You'd park the car behind you. And my car was under the carport. Sheila had pulled in behind me. When I came out of the house, I walked around to the front of the house, got the mail out of the mailbox, walked around, sat down in my car, started looking at the mail and laying over what I needed in the seat. And then I come around, started the car, put it in reverse and forgot that her car was behind me. And I went, bang! First thing I did was look to see if anybody saw me. I was more concerned about who saw my stupidity than I was the damage to her car or mine. And that's the way we are. Do you know it's amazing to me that most Christians don't know that God in his word said that you are to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, not forgiven, healed. You mean we should confess our faults? Yeah, but the problem is we're afraid to confess our faults to one another because we know we're going to be judged. We know we're going to be condemned, and we shouldn't be that way. The habit, listen to me say this, the habit, say habit. It's a habit. The habit of finding fault 
constantly is very damaging to our spiritual life. Hear me say it. Fault finding is about the lowest, meanest position that a Christian can take. I have never seen a human being who was aiming to do the best work that they could do who couldn't still benefit from some improvement after they finished the task. But to focus on just their improvement and what they could have, should have, would have done is ridiculous. Hear me. I've never done anything in my own life that I didn't think I could have done a better job if I had the opportunity to do it again. But to sit down and find fault with other people when we're doing nothing ourselves is ridiculous. Boy, I'm preaching good. I'm preaching about love is not easily angered and love keeps no record of wrong. God is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrong. And we should not be easily angered and we should not keep any record of wrong. I can hear some of you right now because I, I, I know some of you pretty well. I could look, I'm trying to look at everybody so you think I'm talking about you. But every one of us knows how we can be at times and it's really hard for us to wipe people's slate clean. They can do a hundred things right for us and one thing wrong and we will remember the wrong thing and focus on it instead of all of the things they did right. We're guilty. Look at somebody and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> Listen to me say this. I'm about ready to close. To sit down and find fault with other people is wrong. Listen to me say it. It's the opposite of holy. It's not patient and it's not divine love. I want the spirit of criticism and fault finding out of the church and out of my heart. We live in a world that they want to be critical of everything and they judge everything and they share their opinions about everything and I'm saying, God, I don't want anything to hinder your love from being able to flow through me. I don't want to be a critical Christian. I don't want to be a fault-finding Christian. I want to be somebody who is loving like you love. 
If we're living according to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we will not be finding fault with other people all the time because love suffers long and is kind. Most people who criticize and find fault with other people are dwelling on themselves and what they believe and what they see wrong instead of God's love for that person. God, help me to love like you love. Help me to not be easily angered and help me to keep no record of wrong. I want every one of you to leave here today knowing that your pastor thinks you are the greatest thing that ever hit the planet. And that there's nothing wrong with any of you. Let me back up. There's nothing wrong with your mates <laughs> or your children or you. I've walked into homes, brag on kids and how they are, and a parent looked me square in the eye and say, you just don't really know that little brat. And I'm thinking, you keep records of wrong. I'm not trying to condemn you, but I am trying to convict you that we need to love like Jesus loves. Stand with me, would you? Heavenly Father, I really desire to love like you love. Father, we don't have it together and we know we don't have it together, but we want to position ourselves for your love to manifest through us. You use us, Lord, with all of our faults and all of our flaws. But Lord, I'm asking you today to set us free from criticism, from fault finding, and help us to be set free from anger and record keeping. No anger, no record. Help us to believe that we have been forgiven and that we can walk as the forgiven of the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this privilege and this opportunity today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.